Instead of facing crowds this year, many holiday deal seekers stayed home spending from their smartphones. The Black Friday Cyber Monday sales weekend hit record-breaking online sales while many brick-and-mortar stores were left empty and perhaps envious. Meanwhile, Bopus orders saw a major uptick in sales last weekend. Could this signal the beginning of a mass retail adoption? We've got the scoop and more in this special Black Friday Cyber Monday breakdown. It's Monday, December 9th, and this is your Retail Rundown. Today, we're joined by Bob Fibbs and Mike Wittenstein. Bob, also known as the Retail Doctor, is an internationally recognized business strategist, customer service expert, sales coach, author of three books, and a motivational business speaker. He has a legacy of bringing failing businesses back to life and has been dubbed the category killer killer by the New York Times. Mike is the founder and managing partner of StoryMiners, one of the world's first strategic storytelling and experience design consultancies. Mike is a certified consultant, speaker, and experience designer who's helped his clients earn nearly $2 billion from improvements in sales, operations, service design, and brand management. Bob, Mike, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for asking us. So today we're shaking things up a bit and we're going off track from the normal format we usually do. We're going to focus our conversation solely around this year's shortened holiday shopping season and how it started out with record-breaking bang for e-commerce. Adobe released a really interesting report and it revealed that this year's digital Black Friday sales reached 7.4 billion, while holiday shoppers doled out a whopping 9.4 billion on Cyber Monday. And that translates to 20% more than last year's 7.9 billion on Cyber Monday, meaning that last week was the largest online shopping day in US history. Adobe also found that this year's Cyber Monday shoppers bought more big ticket items like Samsung TV, smartphones, and Apple Watches compared to last year. And the average online checkout was 6% higher than 2018. So most notably, many shoppers decided to ditch the delivery process and do pickup this year. That drove a 43% increase in buy online pickup in store orders from big box retailers like Walmart and Target. And as digital and omni-channel retailers rejoiced in some of these big wins, the traditional brick and mortar paled a little bit in comparison. Retail Next reported sparse crowds in stores and shopping malls, so there's a little bit of a humbug there. But Bob, I want to pass this to you first. Do you think there were any clear winners for some of the Black Friday, Cyber Monday sales? I think certainly Target, uh, you know, continues their record-breaking streak. I think Walmart certainly is up there. I think they reported Old Navy as well. But, you know, mm-hmm. what's a winner? I'm sorry, because I <laughs> I gave 60% off of stuff. I'm a winner. I mean, at what point are the same retailers really just assuming that because we have volume, we're successful? I think that's very different than actually being a clear winner. So, and also I think if I didn't already say it, I think Best Buy certainly just because they're like last man standing in the electronics. <laughs> so true. Mike, what's your take? You know, when I think about the biggest winners, I think two things. First, that just measuring sales is not enough because that's only one measure of so many things that go into a well-run store dealing with digital transformation and trying to prove its customer experience. For me, and I went out shopping on Friday and Monday, I was the winner. Customers all around had planned their their shopping trips. They knew what they wanted. They had information. They had apps. They were using them in the stores. I saw people at Target and other locations actually using the parking lot pickup areas. And it was amazing. The folks that had been investing for the last few years, that had been training, that had been working diligently to get the basics right, and then to add a little bit more, they were all humming. What I noticed was that the customer experience itself 
wasn't that much different. I didn't see any big lift in the way things actually felt to me as a customer. But I think customers came out way ahead and talking to my friends and colleagues online and in person over that week, people were really happy and felt they got really good deals. Mm -hmm. I would echo that uh, from my experience as well. I went out and I actually planned a lot of my shopping like you did and a lot of your friends and um, the experience was great. But I will say I did not see a huge increase in traffic. It did feel like a busy holiday shopping Friday or, or Saturday, but um, it wasn't like it maybe was 10 years ago when people were literally trampling each other over. But that's just my personal experience. I actually love that. In in the Northwest Atlanta area, we have a new expressway corridor with, uh, you know, pay for it driving lanes. And it's made the driving on the rest of I-75 so much better. And I felt exactly the same way when I was in the stores because it wasn't as crowded. I could park. I could find somebody to talk to. It was so much less stressful. The whole idea of cramming everything into a day was artificial scarcity. And that's disappearing. I think that's something that no one's going to miss. I love the topic of scarcity too, just because scarcity marketing is becoming a way that some brands that traditionally haven't approached their marketing efforts like Nike are being really successful with releasing those limited time products and partnering with designers. But I wanted to move on to my second question, which is, And Mike, you even said this, you saw a lot of people doing buy online, pick up in store. Do you think that this year's noteworthy increase in pickup orders will be a catalyst for mass retail adoption? Do you think some people might have been trying this out for the first time and now we're going to see more and more of that? You answered your own question there, Julia. Absolutely. Getting people to change behaviors is really, really hard. And Mm -hmm. by cramming the day with so filled with things, a lot of people just tried it. It was promoted through some of the apps and You know, people would drive to the parking lot, press the button, wait for somebody to bring out their order, kids in the back seats. I actually saw that. And then they move on to their next thing. So they had a successful first experience in many cases. I'm sure there were some failures as well. But then they pack that away in the back of their head and they go, you know, I could do that again. And it's frictionless. It takes less time. For most customers, it's a really good option. And I do agree that, yeah, we're going to see more people incorporating these new ways of purchasing. In my opinion, from over the years and years that I've been looking at retail and customer experience, the more channels that you can communicate with your customer and usually the more loyal they are and the more value you are to them. But I bet Bob disagrees. (laughs) (laughs) Well, since you said it, Mike, uh, look, I get it. You know, mission shoppers, this is their time. If you're an analytical personality and you're obsessively watching, you're going to buy some 60-inch TV and you did all your homework and you were able to order it online and pick it up, I get it. But that's to me, misses the big point, which is retail was always about discovery. And only 10% of your shoppers are in that mission shopper mindset. 60% just know they want something new. They're in awareness stage. 30% are in comparison. Do I want the black? Do I want the white? Do I want the medium? Do I take the large? Do I want plaid, et cetera? I've got to go in and check that out. But this idea that everybody knows what they want is, I'm sorry, bullshit. Because (laughs) at the end of the day, customers are pretty stupid. And what I mean by that is, just because you can find a couch on sale for $2.99 doesn't mean that's a great option. It means you <laughs> bought some cheap crap that's probably going to fall apart. And if you really want quality, it's going to run you a grand. But just because somebody got that $2.99 sofa 
is not the greatest thing in the world. I think that retail exists to be able to educate, to be able to move that shopper from it's all about price, which, you know, when I'm 20, I outfitted my first apartment with things I got at garage sale or you got in from friends or thrift stores, but you move past that. You know, you get older and you say, oh, well, I'll buy something new. So maybe it's Ikea and I have to use a wrench and I put the screw too far through and it sticks out the bottom of it. But no one will notice. And then you move up to, I want something finer. And then you should continue to keep moving up because people aren't just buying a product. They're buying a better vision of their lives. So if you keep people stuck in this perennial, it's about the deal and cheaper, I think what really happens is the premium items sit, the luxury items sit, and God forbid you train an employee to actually sell and educate people. And so people bragging they got a great deal on something becomes the better point rather than I got the sofa, which really means a lot. And just to add one more thing. I'm encouraged because I think there is a renaissance of people developing and moving through these stages of buyer's lifestyle because of what we're seeing with millennials supporting farm to table and different types of whiskeys and becoming really educated on the coffee or the wine and really wanting to see those differences. And the better retailers are going to harvest this and get out of this race to the bottom that it's all about price and promotion, which, you know, if it's 1940s was brilliant. I just don't think it has a place in being able to make profit in 2019 and 2020. Yeah, that's been a recurring theme that you're talking about. And I think that's really important to call out. I want to add one more thing to this notion of losing the retail, if you will. The way I would look at this uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday thing is it's kind of like the world's biggest beta test. (laughs) My opinion is if you've got something new to try, you know, you should test it a little bit, but roll it out and make a splash, do something new, a little bit different, and see if people will adopt it. And most importantly, see what you can learn from your customers. The other thing is that, you know, coming from a customer experience background, we usually deal in personas, descriptions of, you know, amalgam customers. You know, there's Susie who's 35 and blah, blah, blah. And you kind of shape the experience around her needs. So this year for me was the tipping point where instead of having more shoppers than we had personas. Now I think we have more personas than we have shoppers. Individuals like me, like you guys, have multiple personas as you go through the day. And you might go into a mall for a discovery experience and down the road for a pickup experience and pass by another store that you happen to shop online. And all of those are valid and viable. I think that's important for retailers to remember that really the customer's in control We used to be able to manipulate them, and a lot of retailers did that with their marketing, with their services, making them wait in line, rules for returns, all those kinds of things. With so much competition and so much visibility of how the other guys are treating me available to everyone, I think that's eroding a little bit. We can't do that anymore. So the customer really is in control, and use this time to beta test your new ideas at scale and see how fast you can move in the customer's direction. So was the customer in control when it was Gap at 60% off any of our stuff at 8 a.m.? I don't think so, Mike. I think the (laughs) retailer is in desperation mode, and they're begging people, take this crap out of here. We have no idea how to sell it. Please take this marginal average looking stuff that you didn't want before because we got more stuff coming in the back. I think that's the bigger issue. I think this whole idea, don't get me wrong, I think that the customer is in charge, but I think that makes great PR 
And yes, I've seen Target at work with the drive up and pick up. And I get that for a busy grocery shopper. And I understand that a mom with four kids would want that. But the reality is when it's delivered to trunk, you lose all the ability to upsell and say, you know, this is a good model, but we might have one better. You've lost all of those things that makes the brick and mortar retail so valuable. And let's face it, it's a niche of a niche of a niche of a niche. There's not that many people driving to have stuff delivered to the trunk. The bulk of it comes down to all I care about in a retailer is, can you convert a shopper into a customer at a profit? Can you add on to a sale so that more items went out the door than that customer initially wanted? I don't think it's manipulative. I think that is ultimately it. If I go to buy paint and you don't sell me the masking tape or the trim brush or whatever else it is, then you did the poor job. And retail is about being brilliant on the little details and being exceptional on that. I get it that algorithms can do all sorts of things. I get my phone can do a beacon to show me where the men's underwear is when I walk into Macy's. But realistically, that makes great PR. I don't think it moves the needle near as much as what most retailers need to, which is an end to the promotion and we've got to move this crap out of here because more's coming in and into how do I actually become more valuable in the purchasing space of this one customer. And I think we have a long way to go from there. I agree with you. And, but I think that retailers aren't doing enough to really understand their customers at a unit of one because each customer is unique. They want to be transformed. As you said before, they're looking for great value. They're looking for convenience, whatever it is that they're looking for, they should be inserting the words that matter most to them. So it's really, in in my opinion, about how flexible and adaptive the retailers and their systems can be over time. One of the effects of having a, you know, 60% off everything is it gets more people in the stores and inflates the numbers. Some of my friends were actually waiting for their regular purchases until this weekend so they could save a ton of money on what they would So what does that tell you, Mike? That's not sustainable. The whole point of retail is that someone goes in and she, I'm getting a little too passionate about this and just stand (laughs) down for a minute, Julia. Just the reality is you make a profit on the want items and to consider all the wants as needs to have all the millennials who have understood all of the deals and you know i use your shopping card and i'll get that extra whatever 5% off and all the online retailers that are now clogging up i was in new york city last weekend and all the delivery trucks and all this crap going back and forth cuz it's cheaper and cheaper margins go down retailers are in trouble and we're still talking about it's a customer of one and we need to know our customers that's crap you need to do your job which is have compelling product presented so well that when i walk in i'm like I could see that in my home and have somebody add a little humanity into it so it's not a technology play, it's a human play, and get that merch out the door at a profit. If you keep failing at this, you end up like a Neiman Marcus, $4 billion in debt, saying mm. everything's fine. You end up with the guy at Gap saying, we're going to split off Old Navy because we did such a great job of who's no longer there, our peck, right? Such a great job of managing the brand. All we have to do is just cut it in half and they'll both do better. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's have some reality checks here. Unless you're brilliant on the basics of providing the right merchandise at the right time at the right price that you can get margin, 
then you are just having a going out of business sale on layaway with these constant promotions and saying, oh, if we can get people to use buy online, pick up and store, here's $50 off because we'll change the behavior. Look, Opus exists and it took me a while to get this. It keeps people from going down to the store expecting to find that item on the shelf and it's not. That's what it's brilliant for so that that shopping trip isn't wasted. I used to think it was all about nobody wanting to talk to anybody. It's more that if I go out of my car, I want to get it. And when 40% more people buy more when they go and buy online, pick up in store, that's the opportunity a smart retailer has to jump on instead of having some clerk try to find the item, missing 10 minutes, the customer gets frustrated, et cetera, et cetera. They understand the goal is to get them to linger in the store instead of the buzzwords. We just want to get them in and out as quick as possible. I will turn off my mic now. Well, it sounds like, Bob, you're saying it comes down to the basics. You have to have brilliant retailing. You have to focus on the human experience and the people that are in your store, which from personal experience just last weekend, and it's so funny that you used a sofa for your example, because I actually did buy a couch on Black Friday <laughs> um, and it was facilitated. Was it beige? You know, but- was it beige? Oh, Tell me gosh. no. Well, it, it was, it's beige leather. Ugh. Oh, no. Is that bad? Should I, should That's I change That's why it was order? on sale. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I know. I And I almost picked like the black one, but it seemed too dark. So anyways, yeah, it, it just my purchases that were larger basket size over the weekend were not my online purchases. They were the ones facilitated by people in store. I will say that, but that's my personal experience. And then it sounds like, on the other hand, Mike's bringing up a good point about the focus on knowing your customer and some personalization points. Yeah, when you know that information, it's so much easier to anticipate what your customer needs and not only to have it in stock, but be able to promote it. Like Bob said before, if you've got the paint, you need the paint stick and the brushes and all that kind of stuff. As soon as you can discover, or the sooner you can discover a customer's intent, like what mission are they on? I'm trying to repaint the kid's room. Grandma's moving in and we've got to you know, fix up this new room. It's so much easier to be a good retailer seamlessly between all the different channels. That's how you can be of greater value to folks. It's not just amaze them when they walk in the door and coax them into buying something more than they were experiencing. It's about providing total service and amazing experience and getting them the things that add value to their life. That's part of the design. Anything that we do in retail, in my opinion, with all the tech and the people and the changes has to elate the customers, engage the employees and profit the shareholders at the same time. That's really good retail design. I would agree there. And I, I know in the report, it said 82% of shoppers doing buy online, pick up in store, actually come into the store and pick up additional items while getting their pre-ordered item. And like Bob said, 40% spend more than they would have otherwise. So it's an interesting offering. A lot of retailers are doing it. Some are doing it better than others. And um, I think that we'll definitely see an increase next year. And with that, I think we covered that question quite a bit. So I wanted to move on to a different one that's just more about the sense of urgency. Is Black Friday and Cyber Monday, are they losing the sense of urgency? Are we going to see something different next year when it comes to the holiday shopping week? Is it going to be a holiday shopping month? What can retailers do to make sure that they're maximizing these holidays that are somewhat manufactured? You know, I think it really is turning into one big week. It's kind of like what happened in Miami. I grew up in Florida and Miami was its own little town and so was Fort Lauderdale and so was Coral Gables. And now it's like one big giant beach community and you can't tell where one city ends and another one begins. 
I think the same thing is happening in retail, especially as people become more facile going to stores, using technology and using technology in stores. It's just one big thing. It's going to be interesting to see how retailers respond. Bob, do you agree? You know, I I would take a step back. I mean, I agree with Mike in that respect that when Amazon is announcing Black Friday sales in July, the whole thing just becomes preposterous. We're just watching (laughs) this giant lie to everybody. I must admit, when I saw the USA Today and some of these gift guides, best Black Friday sales like Apple earbuds, normally 249, 234. I'm like, save mm-hmm. 14 bucks. So Five this is the deal that. I need to make my shopping complete. I mean, at some point you just you're painting the lily here. This is all joke. But just to go back, you know, my mom and dad were in this, you know, they went through the depression and they went through the World War II. And things were pretty tough for them. I didn't realize we were actually lower middle class when I grew up. I didn't quite realize that with the times my mom darned our jeans and saved string and, you know, saved every leftover and made everything into it. Mm. But I'll tell you, when Black Friday came, that was the one time that families could go out and go to the malls or go to their local areas and there were discounts. And so it was a big social thing to do that families would do together. And then they would get their Christmas shopping done as a unit. I think as we have moved more to the bowling alone mentality where people are more alone, that this idea that Black Friday is losing the social component, which it should be a big deal because Ultimately, all of those impulse purchases are, again, what improves margins. If we are really nothing more than rats to the cheese, which it's seeming more and more, then I think anybody can give away the store. It's how do you go through and be profitable? And if people are really going to be using this idea of Cyber Monday and Thanksgiving and Black Friday to shop online, does Black Friday have a real advantaged in a brick and mortar store. And I'm not so sure it does. I mean, I think that Black Friday is ready to be reinvented. I think that this idea that these killer deals are out there is a joke. Again, just go down the list and look at what was supposed to be a great deal. And to me, a great deal is, you know, you could buy this Bentley for the price of a used Harley Davidson. That would be an amazing (laughs) deal to me. But usually it's really nothing like that. And we all kind of support it still. But I think the struggling retailers are still going to be struggling in January. I can't imagine that JCPenney saw a 10% increase. Although I will say on a side note, their new store in Texas looked promising. It's just so they have enough money to roll that out to enough. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, the more promotional it stays there is always somebody cheaper. And when you figure that most retailers carry 60 to 75% of the same merch as anybody else, all you have is your people that are going to make the difference. If your gold spar is going to be that we put stuff on sale more often than the other guy, unless you're a VC firm, you know, just throwing money at you like Uber or some of these (laughs) other delivery outfits, I just don't think it has legs. Mm -hmm. It's not sustainable. Hey, Bob, as I was listening to you, I was um, listening from a different perspective. I put on my um, brain science hat for a minute. I don't know a lot about that, but just enough to be dangerous. And one of the things that I think is built in as a bias to this whole frenzy of selling cheap on this whole now weak period is that it's basically about addiction. People are addicted to getting a really good deal. It makes them Mm -hmm. feel really good, like they beat the system finally, because so many things 
the advertising interrupts them. The pricing varies based on who you are, where you are, when it is. I've seen Coke machines that charge more, or soda machines, not to call out a brand, that charge more when it's really hot and sticky outside. So customers are used to being pummeled and that's uh, not very profitable. So addiction, while it brings in customers, lowers profits like you talked about before. On the other hand, and this is the customer experience side of me speaking, another way to attract customers that's got equal stiction, if you will, is to delight them. And that gets back to your notion of give them a great curated experience, let them discover something new, make them feel wonderful, help them transform their lives. And that, you know, down to the unit of one is a better experience and delight yields more profit. So that's another kind of emotion that we could steer toward. But to do that, you really have to be focusing on, and this would be advice for retailers throughout all of next year, is in addition to thinking about selling more, also start thinking about how can you serve more. Use the resources that you've got and see if you can add more to the customer side of the balance sheet so they're getting more of what they value. And it's not just a simple money for a box of stuff transaction. So you used one of my favorite buzzwords that I hate, this idea that we're delighting customers. I can't see anyone anywhere in the world saying, I felt delighted because I went into that retailer. I just can't. And yet it's a buzzword that everybody uses. It's all it about is. customer engagement. We have to delight and surprise you surprise me a lot of times with the condition of your fitting rooms and your bathrooms and the poor choices you have on the sales floor. But to delight me, to truly delight me means I have met an enchanting individual who I will go out of my way for. And that more than likely is going to happen in a smaller boutique. It's going to happen in a curated version of a brand. I don't think delight is what I would ever say at a Macy's. I don't think delight is what I'd say at a Home Depot or a Lowe's. I don't even know that the possibility of being delighted there is. It's really important that, you know, NRF is in a few weeks and I'll be speaking there on January 13th, subtle hint. But when it really gets down to it, the C-level PR people that talk about how great their brand is, when it hits the metal in the actual store and you realize that half your employees are looking down at their cell phones, the other half are behind the counter laughing or doing anything else but waiting on somebody, that's where you're lacking and that's what we notice. And yet to get from there to an engaged, enlightened group of people takes a solid training program, but holding them accountable. And then your goal might be delight, but don't kid yourself. Your goal is to be personable, to be friendly, to add something, to build rapport, to discover a stranger, to be able to engage them in a way that converts them into a customer. If I could just have more focus on converting shoppers to customers, then I would be happy. But this idea that delighting is in of itself a end goal, I just don't I'm sorry, I just don't buy, Mike. <laughs> Delight for me, in a, as a customer experience designer, is a catchphrase that means whatever the positive emotion is that the business is emitting or evoking amongst its customers. At the end of the day, an emotion is a valid business outcome. People pay more for things that they like. So instead of delight being a single word that everyone strives for, it could be triumphant, refreshed, renewed, advantaged. It could be any number of things, but that has to be chosen by the retailer and very carefully orchestrated. That's how you can differentiate one experience from another and what keeps people coming back. 
Disney does just, an amazing job of that. If Disney's Disney, please. That's like saying Apple. You know, Apple is Apple and Disney is Disney. I mean, at the end of the day, they're not a retailer. I just did a quick search of delight online. The example, the little girl squealed with delight. That's how I think of delight. <laughs> well, I have a question for you both because Canada Goose and in Toronto just opened their new experiential retail space called Journey. Um, or I don't know if it's open, but it will be very soon. And I was reading some comments on the post I saw and um, someone, I think her name was Suzanne Sears uh, from Retail Insider was saying, you know, I think that the idea of a retail career is changing. And she said, maybe retailers should focus on hiring hospitality graduates instead of business graduates because of the new experiential spaces that are coming out. Do you agree with that, Bob? <laughs> okay, so A, I don't think they're hiring business graduates necessarily. I think the challenges they're running, we're hiring people that really don't like other people that never worked in retail, that never understood retail, and they've never sold anything to anyone. And so they're duplicating a frictionless, inhuman way to go. I do agree that hospitality tends to help you people in the hotel business because A, they're trained better for one, but also number two, that the idea of hospitality is important, but let's make no mistake here. Someone walking into your store is not a guest. If I have guests at my Thanksgiving dinner, I don't expect them to buy the cream corn. <laughs> I expect them to just come and have a good time. And I think a lot of retailers are getting caught up in pop-ups and all of these events and that it doesn't matter if they convert. Everything matters if it doesn't convert. And so, yes, I do agree that you can have hospitality people that are gear. I think their big thing with Canada Goose is they have a snowstorm every day that in the store and how that's it. And, you know, we've seen Nike and others open stores that have basketball courts and all of this. And I think those are a lot of gimmicks. But I come down to the hard work, the really hard work in retail is how do I craft a branded shopping experience that converts lookers to buyers. If you come from having worked at a great Marriott, a luxury Marriott like the Chatwell in New York City, well, that's great. But you know what? I'm probably not going to work for minimum wage or a starting salary in a buyer's office of 25 grand. Mm -hmm. And so if we say that, then ultimately you say, well, then how do we get there? It's going to have to be through margin. It's going to have to be through finding ways to not just keep giving away the store because your employees don't know how to sell, but that we actually realize we've got to get more out of the people that are coming in since there are less trips coming into the store. Yeah, I, I think we should set a higher bar, not just mm -hmm. in retail, but in hospitality and healthcare and everything. There's so many decisions being driven by the bottom line, and that's not really what makes the bottom line better. What makes the bottom line better is providing more value to customers. I wish we had better metrics. For example, what is the value that this retail experience or this non-experience basic shopping thing really offers to customers? We just don't know how they value us. So we keep mm -hmm. pushing on our side of the balance sheet. And I think we're leaving really good opportunities on the table. I think we can be more profitable. Customers can get better products and services if we just learn a little bit more about each other. And we just don't value the value that we create for customers. It's all about transacting for boxes. And that mentality is, I believe, what's on its way out. And retailers are going to need to adopt a more mature, more evolved, more adaptive way of thinking about things. They've got to keep customers in the center of what they're thinking about, or they're going to continue to you know, starve on this 
Black Friday, Cyber Monday thing. They're just continuing the same behaviors with slight variations. I don't see a lot of big innovations. And I think that paying attention to what your customers care about would stoke that kind of thinking and get us to something new and better. Because right now, I don't think it's that great. If I buy from you, I value you, Mike. Other than that, I like you. There's a big difference. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And the fact that most people still do shop in store, we can't forget that. It's not all e-commerce. In fact, one in two people in that Adobe report said they preferred going into stores on days like Black Friday. I loved what you said, Mike, about the new metrics that just don't really exist yet for measuring the value of these new experiences that retailers are putting a lot of effort into offering customers. And so I wanted to pose the next question and the final one for today's rundown, which is how will these traditional retailers need to update their holiday sales strategy next year based on what we're seeing from this season? One of my core principles for this podcast is that you need to know your customers better. And it turns out that there's a really cool new set of tools. Not that new, but for most people, they're just starting to hear about it now. It's in the data science area. You can use machine learning, algorithms, sensors of all different kinds to pick up what's going on in the real world at a scale that's unheard of before. And for retailers, they're just barely starting to get their arms around it. But Mm -hmm. double down on data science. Have some of your folks start studying what that is and what some of the implications for retail are. Have somebody learn machine learning. Go to an AI class. Start thinking. Get a couple of tools. Just start playing with it and get that learning trajectory going because it's truly one of the few choices that you have in your strategy. You can choose what you learn. You can choose who you hang out with. Everything else is pretty much, you know, a consequence of that. The second thing that I think retailers should be doing is talking more to their customers. And I literally mean talking to them in the store, maybe even during this holiday season. Of course, that might cut into sales and chat time, but you've got some very unique customers on unique missions coming into your stores before the uh, Christmas holiday. So find out what it is that they're there to do. Learn a little bit more about their favorite features they'd like to have in an app. Would they use an app? those kinds of things. But talking directly to customers is so enlightening compared to looking at sales data and aggregate information about groups of people that's been homogenized to the point that you really can't use the information. Mm. Two last things. Do a customer experience brainstorm. Bring people from the top to the bottom of your organization, multi-tiers, multi-levels, and just put them in a room and have them brainstorm things around customer experience. That'll get some fresh thinking started, and it'll also create some relationships between the different levels or silos in the organization, which you can leverage later on. And finally, I would encourage every retailer to try something big, bold, and new for the next shopping season. Experiment. It's the world's biggest beta test in retail. So take advantage of it. Try something new. See how much and how quickly you can learn from it. Mm -hmm. Great. So you said invest in data science and customer service. Talk to your customers and be big, bold, and new when it comes to next year's holiday season. That's a really good recap. I would say treat Black Friday as what it is. And if you want to go after the dirt scratchers, then go play it. I don't think that um, a strategy for Black Friday is about customer service. I think realistically what has to change in 2020 is we have to get out of this idea. It's all about the customer engagement and we've got to get the employee engagement. Walk your damn floor, talk to your employees. If you don't make their day, they're never going to make the customer's day. Be particular about who you put on that floor and make sure they're trained. And exposure is not training. I was at a customer experience 
session and uh, this major retailer got up and she said how they had a 45 minute video that all their employees had to watch and pat herself on the back that that was training. It's like, that's not training. That's exposure. It'd be like you looking at Serena Williams playing Wimbledon go, I could do that. You're like, "Uh, seriously, (laughs) dude, you could not do that. Not unless you do the backhand 500 million times and you can do it over and over again flawlessly. And so this idea that training is something we did, not something we do, has got to change. And then you've got to hold them accountable. If your branded experience is how, this is how we greet people. This is how we engage a shopper and build rapport before we ever talk to them. This is how we explain our process on more expensive items. Here's how we go through and we mention our other services. And here's how we add on. And ultimately, here's what we say to that customer and follow up, whether that's through email or text or an app or TikTok or whatever, and then hold them accountable to deliver that. I think that that's tough. But you know, the big ideas would be that you close your store on that day and join the other ones that have said, you know, we don't want to play in this game. And if you do realize that just getting more merch out at less margins doesn't make you a winner. It's only if you can be in business in 2020 and you can have enough money to pay your employees better to deliver a better experience. Until we get that mindset, I think most retailers are going to still be running from the Walmart, Amazons, and Targets of the world who figured a lot of this omni-channel stuff out already. And they have gone after that shopper who thinks that they are better because they bought cheap crap cheaper and haven't really evolved into, but what about that next customer who needs to be able to understand why our products are better? So it sounds like you said investing in employee engagement and training first and foremost, and then seeing Black Friday and the holiday shopping for what it is and changing that mindset, which, you know, that's a bold move for sure for retailers that say, hey, we're not playing this game anymore. So I mean, what if you added, we're going to add 25% more people on the floor who are going to have fun instead of we're going to add jugglers and musicians <laughs> and we're going to have people who are going to be able to go in and make face painting with kids. It's like, why don't you really deliver value, which would be have enough people on the floor with technology that we don't have to wait in line to your point, Mike, but more importantly, that helps us get everything on the list and not just that one thing that had the super discount that some famous blogger on YouTube talked about last night because it was a sponsored post, you know? There's Mm -hmm. only so much rats to the cheese I think most customers want to feel. And I think we approach it more and more as we focus in on the Black Friday metrics. Absolutely. And I have to say that remind me, I I had an experience in Sephora recently and it was amazing because they had a gal doing checkout through the iPad because the lines were getting really long and it made a world of difference. (laughs) So really good point there. Bob Fibbs, the retail doctor, and Mike Wittenstein of Story Miners, the founder. Thank you both for joining today. Loved hearing your insights, and I hope to have you on the show again. Wonderful. Thanks so much, and happy holidays to everyone. Ditto. <laughs> and one last note, this is for our listeners who represent a retailer or a brand. If you would like to join a small panel of executives at our upcoming Rethink Retail Dinner in New York City this January, that's at the same time as NRF's big show please reach out to me at julia at rethink.industries for more information or to be considered. I encourage you to apply and note that spots are limited. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. That's this week's Retail Rundown. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guests. Follow us on Twitter at rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing, reviewing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.